listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. How y'all doing? Chilling? Man, I can tell uh, that school has set in a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like you're back in the daily grind. Hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Hey, my name is Brandon. I'm the college young adult pastor here at Southcrest. If I haven't got to meet you, I would love to meet you either on your way to Connect Groups here in a few minutes or, or after Connect Groups. I'll be in here, and again, we'd love to get to know you and get to know your story a little bit. Hey, so last week, we started a series in the book of Acts, a series called Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And tonight, we're going to pick up in chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and start um, making your way to Acts chapter 3, that would be, that would be awesome. So something I've noticed in life is that some people have the it factor. When I say the it factor, I mean they, they always seem to tend towards being bold and they want the challenge, the it factor, right? Like I don't think I really have the it factor. Like I'm, I like being with people and I don't mind, like actually I enjoy like getting to do what I do, being on stage and things, but I still don't think I have the it factor. For example, I think my um, I think he's 10 years old. My 10-year-old nephew, Gabriel, I think he does have the it factor as in like he wants to challenge. He wants to be bold. So uh, an example of that, over Christmas break, my wife and I and the kids, I, man, I, I have kids. I'm still getting used to saying that. It's crazy. Anyways, um, we were back in Florida, and uh, every day that my sister, my older sister and her family were there, we would go to the old high school where I used to just like dunk on kids and stuff like that. But we would go to the old high school. Keep one. why are you laughing? <laughs> we go to the old high school and we played basketball every day. So the last day we were there, we, uh, my nephew, he has an older brother named Elijah, but Gabriel's 10, Elijah's like 12. They decided they wanted it to be them two versus Lauren and I, which big mistake because, man, us hazes, we know how to ball. You know what I'm saying? Like, Lauren and I can do it. And so I'm kidding. Actually, like 10 and 12-year-olds about my level of, like, where I feel good. Anyways, so we played this basketball game, and Lauren and I really did. We kind of put it on them. And so uh, Gabriel, like, he, this, this is not in my DNA. He's like, man. Forget this. And the whole time, by the way, that we're, we're beating them, he's being mean to his older brother. Like, man, you stink. Why are you taking those shots? What's wrong with you? So after we beat them, Gabriel says, you know what? I'm going to take on all three of y'all, me versus y'all, which I'm like, whatever, dude. And Lauren is Miss uh, Justice. She's like, she leans over. She's like, we're going to teach this kid a lesson. Let's let him play us three. And we're going to destroy him. So she's like, fine, Gabriel. You versus all three of us. Let's go. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I'm like, Lauren, he's 10 years old. Get, take it easy, right? So, y'all, we start playing. And I don't know what happened, but Gabriel turned into, like, a blend of Steph Curry and LeBron James and Ben Simmons. I don't know what happened. He was seriously making everything. And I'm, I'm very ashamed and embarrassed to say to you, we only beat him 15 to 14. Like, the three of us versus this one, Lauren was like, Man, I wanted to teach him a lesson, and he almost beat us. Like, that was really close. But I, I would never, even to this day, I would never be like, yes, me versus all three of y'all, I will destroy you. That's Gabriel. Like, he's bold. He doesn't care that he's this tall, and I'm like, you know, 6'4". Um, like, he doesn't care. He wants the challenge. He wants to be bold. Man, he has that, that it factor. Some people have that, and when it comes to, to business, to their work. They want the challenge. They want, I, my good buddy Aaron, uh, man, he, he doesn't mind a challenge. He doesn't mind the difficulty in work because he wants to step up to that challenge. Some of you are that person or know that person in a school project when, man, you have a really difficult like group presentation to make, and they're the person that's like, 
I'm going to do it, and I'm going I'm to kill this. I want the challenge. I want to be bold in this moment. Even if the professor tries to crush me, I ain't having that, right? They want to be bold. Or one, another like, person I think is an example of either it's bold or just like stupid. I don't know. But it blows my mind. Like, I, don't, I can't quite understand. I guess you get into this from a young age. But like, how does a person want to be the field goal kicker for a football team? Here's what I'm thinking about this. Like, you either make it, and you're, it's like the fourth time I've destroyed that DI. I'm sorry, Angel. Anyways, you either make it, and you're like the hero, and everyone loves you, or you miss it, and everyone's like, man, we hate you. Where, where do you live? We're going to come burn your house down. It's like, it's like you have to be pretty bold to want that moment, right, to say, hey, I want it on me. I'm not scared. I can handle this. Man, some people have that it factor. I feel like some people even have that in their faith. Like, you know those people who, I was talking with a buddy about this today. He was talking about his mother-in-law, who her first reaction, like, no matter how bad life is, her first reaction is just to trust God and say, man, God's up to something good. He was like, I have to tell myself that, like, seven months later, that God was using it for good. But her reaction is right in that moment. Y'all know people like that? They just have incredible faith. Or maybe they're, they're even bold in their worship. And more specifically, like, I'm referring to people that are bold in their witness. It's like they're just not afraid to talk to anyone. They can just go up and, and start having a conversation and start sharing the gospel. And I can't help but wonder, like, do they have just, is there something special about them? Are they wired differently? Do they know Jesus better than I do? Like, do they have that it factor that makes them so bold? I'm, I want to know, uh, what is it? How are they so bold? How are they, um, how do they have like that, that power to, to stand firm for Christ and to want to share him. Two dudes that we could definitely say, man, those two guys were bold. I don't know if they had the it factor or what it was, but those two dudes were bold. And that was Peter and um, John that we've been reading about in Acts. And, man, it, it's pretty interesting. So if you go back to the last week, you finish chapter 1 and kind of chapter 2. And at the end of chapter 2, we didn't really get into this, but it says, man, they, God was doing some incredible things. They were the, the these this little ragtag group of believers, not believers. By the way, my wife has made fun of me like 12, 12 times for the fact that I said crucified last week. <laughs> Anyways, and like the pinnacle of the sermon, crucified. Anyways, um, maybe not 12, maybe like three times. But um, this little ragtag group of believers, like God was doing something big. Remember like Pentecost happened and was it 3,000 people were added to the number that day? And it says, if you're reading the end of chapter 2, God was still doing an amazing work, giving them favor with the people. So, man, God's doing some really cool things. Well, in Acts chapter 3, I'm going to kind of just summarize chapter 3 for us to catch us up to chapter 4. But Acts chapter 3 says that Peter and John one day, about 3 in the afternoon, were walking into the temple. And as they're fixing to walk through the gate to the temple, there's this crippled man laying by the side of the entrance. And, and this guy, he's so crippled that people have to carry him to this gate. Like he can't crawl there, he can't get there. They have to carry them, him there. And he lays there and he's begging for food, begging for money, just trying to survive. And it says that as Peter and John, were, they're going to the temple, they're walking by him, and he asked them for some alms. So in other words, he asked them for some money. Could you give me something to help take care of me? And I love, it says that if you look, uh, let me find it here, sorry, chapter 3, verse 4, it says that Peter directed his gaze at this man. So he looks at the guy who's laying there on the ground, which when I read that, I feel like I've read this five million times and never noticed it until this last time, that Peter did what none of us do. 
So like Peter sees the, for like practical purposes, the homeless begging man, the man in need, and he like, he looks straight at him, like makes eye contact. Where most of us, like we're in the car and we get to a stoplight and there's a homeless person, it's like, I got a crick on my neck, I cannot turn to the left. Well, no one does this at a stoplight. <laughs> anyway, like, you're just like, nope, not looking, not looking that way, nope. Oh, and then and I always, I'm guilty of this, I'm not going to lie. Like, as I'm driving off, I'm like, see you later. <laughs> like, that's so messed up. I'm going to work on that. I'm just, like, confessing right now. Zach's, like, so ashamed that he knows me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he, they do what all of us are afraid to do. He, he makes eye contact with the guy, and he tells him, Peter and John tell the man, hey, look, dude, I don't have silver. I don't have gold. I can't give you that. But what I do have you, I give you. In the name of Jesus Get up and walk. I'm paraphrasing, something like that. He says, get up, stand up, be healed, and walk in the name of Jesus. And sure enough, it says that Peter reaches down, grabs his hand, and the dude gets up. And imme- This is amazing. Immediately, his ankles and his feet and his legs are healed. Woo! Right? It says, if you keep reading, it says, I love verse, uh, verse 8. It says, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk. Can you imagine, like, you haven't walked your whole life, and all of a sudden you're like, look at this. Like, he's walking around. This is amazing. He says, he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Man, this dude is excited. He just got healed, right? So, again, everyone's coming into the temple. They're somber. They're coming with their sacrifices. They're coming to pray. And he's like, yeah, what's up? I can walk. Look at me. I'm walking, right? This is such an amazing moment. So people begin to gather around, and they're like, Wait, that's the dude that every time we come to the temple, he's laying on the ground begging. And I'm sure there were some skeptics that are like, yep, 20 years. I knew he's been faking his whole life, right? Like, but no, he, the, most of the, everybody's coming around and saying, man, that's the guy that we've seen all these years begging. And now he's up and walking. So they're kind of starting to gather around. And the more they, they gather, they're not just in awe of this dude that's been healed. They're looking at Peter and John and going, what the world? Like, who are you two? That, and I'm, I'm kind of in verse 11 now. It says he's clinging to Peter and John, which is kind of understandable, right? Like you just get healed miraculously. Like, understandable that you're like kind of clinging to these two dudes now. And it says everyone's running around them utterly astounded. And again, not just in awe of the man that's been healed, but in awe of Peter and John who really God used to perform this miracle. So Peter realizes he, he's got a, an opportunity. He could just like, he could have taken the credit, like, that's, what, that's what's up, man. We just healed this joker. What's up, right? Could have taken the credit for it. Could have kind of played it off and like, hey, hey, don't, don't give us attention. Like, man, let's just get out of here. They could have left the temple, right? Or he, he could, as a crowd is forming, he could preach the gospel. Now, Luke doesn't go into saying all this, but here's the reality we know. We're going to see later. This was the reality. That before he began to preach, there had to be some sort of tension in his heart. Because Peter and John, they weren't dumb. They knew where they were and what could happen. So they're at the temple. And if I remember right, I think the temple or the religious leaders had a little something to do with the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Not the crucified, whatever. Anyway. So, like, just by location alone, even, like, man, if we start preaching, like, these people that are in charge here are probably not going to like it. And beyond that, like, even if they weren't preaching Jesus, the, Peter and John weren't really, like, they weren't 
authorized to be teaching at the temple. Like no one could just, you couldn't just random, like as any, any person just walk up and start teaching. Like they're going to start paying attention. Hey, what is he talking about? Because the, the priests were the ones that were supposed to be teaching. Beyond that, Peter had to be aware that, man, like if, I, if we got a crowd coming, there's kind of a, an, a stir happening because this man's been healed. And if we get like a little something going here, a little buzz happens, that sounds weird. Like if uh, we get a little too much hype going right here, the reality is the religious authorities aren't going to be excited because they wanted peace with Rome, right? Because Rome could come in just like that and crush them. So they wanted to keep things cool, calm, and collected, right? So I can't help but believe that before Peter like, made a decision, like, am I going to preach? We're going to walk away. We're going to take this glory for ourselves. That he's kind of wrestling with, man, this, this could end poorly for us. <laughs> this is a little dangerous. Nevertheless, if you read the text, he began to preach. He says, starting in verse uh, 12, he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He says, hey, yeah, appreciate the, uh, you know, acknowledging us. But, yeah, not us. That wasn't us. And he goes, again, I'm going to kind of quickly summarize. He says, hey, look, God sent his servant Jesus to the earth, the holy righteous one, Jesus, the author of life. And he looks at this Jewish crowd and he says, hey, but, but you killed him. <laughs> Oops on you, right? Like kind of a mess up there. God sends his servant, his son, Jesus, the one to the one, the author of life, and you, you killed him. And he says, but look, we saw the living, resurrected Jesus. We were witnesses to that. You may not have seen it. But says, man, me and John, we were witnesses to that. And he says, again, you may not have seen it, but you see this man who used to lay over there, crippled and lame, always begging. He is now healed. And you know what? It was in the name of Jesus that he was healed. So you may not have seen the resurrected Jesus, but you've seen this healed man. And we're telling you it was Jesus who did this. And then he continues pretty bold. He says, look, when you killed Jesus, you, you acted in ignorance. But the reality is, again, I'm kind of summarizing 17 and on now in chapter 3. He says, God had prophesied through all of his prophets that the Messiah, who was Jesus, or is Jesus, would come and would suffer for the sake of the sins of the world. He came and was beaten and was crucified to pay the price for our sins. So you need to repent. He says that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So turn from your wickedness and turn to Jesus. That's pretty bold, right? Preaching this to, to the Jews who are all gathered around. They're excited, but now he's, he's proclaiming Jesus. Right, jump in to chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Holy cow. So we've got like a bittersweet moment. So, man, God is still doing something. So there were about 3,000 believers, and now what are we up to just after this? Which, that's a pretty epic sermon. Can we just acknowledge that? Like, that's pretty incredible. How many, what, are, what is the number up to now? About 5,000, right? Yeah, I think it's about 5,000 total. Yeah, you were doing a little uh, comprehensive there. But, yeah, I think it's about uh, 5,000. And so, man, God's doing some incredible things, but what's the hang-up? What's the tension? What's the problem? 
It's okay, you can talk to me. <laughs> Say what? They arrested Peter and John. Yeah. Like, you know what? Man, if I end this sermon tonight and like 40 people can say, man, that's epic. But if I have to, like if later tonight I'm in the Lubbock prison and not with my wife and kids, like I'm a little like, huh. <laughs> right? Like, God, like, that was cool. But like, what's, what's going on? Like, what's up with the prison cell, right? So I mean, this, this is like a bittersweet thing, man. God's still moving. God's doing incredible things. But, but Peter and John, who have been boldly proclaiming Jesus, are now in prison. And you know, it's interesting. We talked about that it factor and, and being bold and courageous. Have you ever noticed, I'm sure I'm not the only one, that it can be really easy to be bold and courageous and stand firm for something when, like, um, the possibility of suffering or persecution or trouble is just a possibility. But when it becomes a reality, your present reality, it's a little more difficult to be bold, Right? That's where Peter and John find themselves. I, I don't know, so don't like take this to the bank, but I wonder what that night in prison was like. We, we're going to see later as we go through Acts that this became kind of a, a thing, like Christians in prison. And actually around the world, like right now as we speak, a lot of Christians are in prison for proclaiming their faith. It seems like this is maybe, unless I'm just completely forgetting something, uh, after Jesus had arisen from the dead, this is the first case we have of Christians in prison for preaching Jesus. We know what later Paul and some of the guys did when they were in prison, but I can't help but, man, if they were filled with fear or excitement, I, we don't know. I bet it was a heavy moment. <laughs> and it got heavier the next day. If you, if you read in, I'm going to summarize a little bit of this, and we'll pick up in a second. Ben, verse 5, it says, the next day, the religious leaders, they, they gather a council together. And this is not any count, just any council. It says, uh, verse 6, that Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family were there. Annas and Caiaphas, both of these men, had a huge role in the arrest and torture and crucifixion of Jesus. They were responsible as anyone else, maybe more than anyone else, for the crucifixion of Jesus. It says that the leaders, Annas, Caiaphas, they gathered this council together, and I'm sure there were other people there to look in and see. And it says they put Peter and John in the middle of the group, in the middle of the council. So imagine they spent the whole night in jail wondering what's going to happen, maybe excited, maybe nervous, like, man, what have we gotten ourselves into? And then they're marched into the middle of this group, this council. And they look and see, and there's... Annas and Caiaphas. This just got real serious. This is not just a, oh, we're just kind of interested in what you're doing. No, Annas and Caiaphas could without a doubt have Peter and John killed. So this just went from like, man, we could face some difficulty to, hey, we could, we could lose everything, including our lives, for, for just preaching one time. This is a heavy moment. 
Imagine the council. All right, quiet, quiet. We're going to hear from these two men. Then everyone's gaze settles in on Peter and John. It says they asked, verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? So, hey, we we know about the man that was healed. Not going to deny that. How'd you do this? Verse 9. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, holy cow, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the cornerstone. And let me be clear, there is no salvation, excuse me, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Woo! That is bold. (laughs) He's looking the two men in the eyes who literally, like, they're responsible for the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. They've been preaching Jesus, and they're saying, hey, yeah, you, you were the one that crucified him, but you know what? Salvation is by Jesus alone. Holy cow, that's bold. Where do you get that kind of boldness? That, that's incredible. It says that the, the council, they immediately saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they're like, oh, dang, these dudes are not scared. Like, these dudes are, are serious. It says they perceived they were uneducated common men, which I hope no one ever hears me preaching like, man, he is uneducated, right? Like, this is, man, he's just a common dude, that, that fool. It says, but no, it says they, they realized they're uneducated common men, but, man, they're bold. And it says they perceived they had been with Jesus. And not like devotion, like, man, those guys have been with Jesus. Like, that's maybe a little misunderstanding. No, they realized, man, just like Jesus was not professionally and formally trained, but was spoke with power and authority and boldness. Man, that's how these two dudes are speaking. Like, they have the same kind of attitude and delivery as Jesus. Man, they are bold. And it says, they reckon, uh, verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they couldn't say anything in opposition. So they're going, man, these dudes are speaking way bold about Jesus, and, and we had him killed, so we can't let them keep preaching about Jesus because we're not for what they're doing, but we can't argue with the man that's standing beside, like, that's been healed. So it says the council asked Peter and John to leave, to step out, like, well, not of the room, but to step out. In verse 16, they say, what are we going to do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. So they're going, all right, we, we got a problem. <laughs> like the people are getting all stirred up and, and riled up because they've seen this miracle, but we got to shut down the Jesus movement. Like we killed him, we got to stomp this out. So it says, verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So it says, they called Peter and John back into the midst. And again, I think it's important to remember, this was not like getting in trouble in elementary school. Like, don't say that anymore. Don't do that. I'll send you to the principal's office. Like, no, they're, they're past that, right? So they come back in and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
So this, I think if we'd slow down, if we could slow down and like be in the moment for a second. This is not again like, hey, you know, man, just we prefer y'all don't talk about Jesus. No, this is a, hey, we don't want to hear another word about Jesus. Shut your mouths. Don't teach about him. Don't preach about him. It says, don't even speak his name. Like Jesus of Nazareth, we don't want to hear that again. And again, in the moment, Peter and John have to remember just like 40-something days ago, maybe a little longer, but about 40-something days ago, Jesus was crucified. Like they arrested him, beat him like to a pulp, and then crucified him. Shut up about Jesus. I think they didn't have to say, we don't know, but they would, they would not have had to even say, remember what we did to him. Peter and John know. We're going to let you go, but shut up about Jesus. You almost in that moment as you're reading, if you like slow down and really read it, you almost are like, man, Peter and John, man, just keep your mouth shut. Just walk on out, right? Like you've made it through. But look what Peter and John do. Verse 19. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, hey, you're going to have to judge that, which they're saying like, it's kind of like a boom, like punch in the face, right? Like you can decide whether we should listen to you or to God. But verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So in other words, what are they saying? I'll give you a hint. <laughs> we can't stop and we won't stop sharing about what we've heard. We're not going to shut up about Jesus. Which, holy cow, that is bold, right? You almost want to pull them aside and be like, dudes, hey, shut up, shut up, shut up. Just, just leave. Like, they're going to let you go. Just, just leave. And they're, they're like, no, before we leave, we're going to tell you. They're essentially saying, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. And we can't stop. We won't stop talking about Jesus. That is incredible boldness. Where does that come from? And again, we know these were common, ordinary uneducated men. So this wasn't like, man, these were these two men were trained at the best seminaries the world could offer. No, like just common dudes. <laughs> Everyday average Joes. We know that it, they weren't in an easy, an easy situation where it was like, man, it's easy to share your faith and be bold for Jesus. No, they're, they're kind of staring death in the face. And we can't say, oh, it was just the majority. It was like cultural Christianity. Yeah, the people were hyped. But again, this was like just a little bitty tiny group that could easily be stamped out by the religious leaders of Israel and certainly by Rome. So they didn't have it easy. They didn't have everything going for them. They weren't like special extra it people. Like, man, those guys, I mean, they just got trained. They were trained in public speaking. They had the it factor. No, they're just regular dudes. How in the world were they so bold to proclaim Christ? And the answer, maybe some of y'all caught it, is in verse 8 of chapter 4. Remember, they brought Peter and John before the group and says, hey, by what power are you doing this? And it says, before Peter gave his answer, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Before Peter even opened his mouth to be bold for Jesus, says, hey, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Where does boldness 
to live out our purpose of being a witness for Jesus come from? Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit. Y'all, this is, man, this is like, I think the reason Luke, or the Holy Spirit, God inspired Luke to write these two chapters is to prove that Acts chapter two was not a fluke. It wasn't like, man, Holy Spirit came, it was really exciting, and Peter preached this awesome sermon, and three people got saved, three people, sorry, 3,000 people got saved, and then everything kind of went back to normal. No, it wasn't a fluke. Over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit empowers his people to be bold witnesses for Christ. That's where boldness comes from, the Holy Spirit. And the same thing that was true for them is true for us today. And how can we boldly proclaim Christ, be a witness for him to our friends and our family and the people we work with, even when they're not going to like what we're saying? The answer is the Holy Spirit. How can we be a bold witness when the people we're talking to, maybe in our class or at work, are going to disagree with what we're saying? How can we be a bold witness? The answer is, help me out, the Holy Spirit. How can I be a witness, even when it's going to be awkward? Man, I can be a bold witness because I have the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Man, so often I think, and I, me included, we say, man, I just don't have like that it factor to be bold. Like, I, I know I should be a witness, but and I'm even extroverted, but I just don't, I get nervous talking to people about Christ. Like, I don't know if I have, really have, have it in me. Or we say, man, maybe like, I'm, I'm so introverted. I don't even, I, I, I don't even like people really. <laughs> I don't even like talking to, I, I was not making fun of introverts, I'm sorry. But you're like, man, I don't really like, like talking to people. It freaks me out. I get nervous. Like, I don't know if I have it in me. Man, I just, I'm afraid I'm going to get really awkward if I bring up Jesus. Like, I don't know if I have it in me. You know what? You're right. <laughs> you may not have it in you, but if you are a child of God through the, through the work, saving work of Jesus Christ, then you have him in you, the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. Y'all with me? He erases all of my excuses for not, for not being a bold witness. Because he, like we mentioned last week, he overcomes every shortcoming I may possess. He takes away my excuses. I mean, so many of us, like we... We haven't really tapped into the incredible power, the incredible resource of the Holy Spirit because we're too caught up on ourselves and like, oh, I'm going to mess this up or I, I just don't know if I can do it. And we, we need to get over ourselves and trust that God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be a bold witness for him. It's kind of like if, if your parents bought you the best ski or whatever snowboarding equipment that money can buy and paid your way to go to Breckenridge or Wolf Creek or wherever, and then even like went ahead and sent money ahead and got it all set up so that you had a ski instructor there to help you, and man, to, to, to help you ski. And then you were like, you know what? I'm afraid if I go, if I do that, I'm gonna embarrass myself or I'm not gonna be good at it. So I'm just not gonna do it at all. What a waste, right? Like what a waste. That is a terrible and lame and such a small example, illustration of what we do with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has given us the power, the resources, he's gonna, it says, like we mentioned last week, he's gonna tell us what to say in those moments to be able to share the gospel. He's given us everything we need, but then we get caught up on ourselves and like, well, I may embarrass myself, I may mess this up, so I'm not gonna do it. Man, what a waste, what a waste. 
we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to be bold. That is a beautiful truth that calls us to action. And what does that look like? It may be like my friend Jessica, who was in class, I can't remember what class she said, but she was in class at Tech and saw a girl from a distance and felt like the Holy Spirit kind of tapped her on the shoulder and said, hey, you should go introduce herself. And like, you should, you should not herself, you should go introduce yourself and go meet her and talk to her. And she's like, Lord, like what? That's kind of awkward. Like, I don't know this girl. But she had, from boldness from the Holy Spirit, went and talked to her after class. And it was awkward, because normally it is awkward when you do this. And she was like, hey, um, did you catch, and she was genuine in this, hey, did you catch what uh, the end, what professor was saying at the end of class? And so got the notes and then ended by saying, hey, by the way, I'm Jessica, nice to meet you. Went from that and kind of felt awkward, like, God, what was that about? Like, all I did was get some notes that I missed. I got her name, she has my name, but that was it. Okay, God, that was weird. Well, later, I think it was that week, maybe, later that week, Jessica saw the same girl up on the third floor of the sub and was like, again, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, hey. So Jessica goes and talks to her and just says, hey, remember we talked earlier this week? Hey, tell me like, uh, we're in class together. What do you study in? What's your major? What do you want to do? Got to talking and this girl uh, shared with Jessica that she was a Muslim. Well, then Jessica gets, so the girl starts asking Jessica, like, well, hey, why are you in this program? Like, what are you wanting to do? So Jessica gets to share, the, got to share the gospel with her about, hey, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's really because of Jesus. And she got to share the gospel with her. That's what it looks like. Or maybe it looks like my friend Zach, who this past Friday was uh, getting a, a little rock chip fixed in his windshield at his house. And there was a man, gentleman out there fixing the rock chip. and. Zach just felt the Holy Spirit nudging, hey, you should go talk to this dude. You should go talk to him. So he's like, well, this is awkward. So Zach walks out to the driveway and was like, by his own admission, he felt awkward and said, hey man, uh, how'd you get in the rock chip business? <laughs> oh, can, man, we've all felt that. We're like, oh, this is like so cringeworthy. What am I doing? Well, man, they got in a conversation and the guy asked Zach, hey, what do you do? Zach said, well, I actually work at a church in a coffee shop. They start talking. Well, then next thing you know, the guy's asking like, hey, man, what do you think about people who like are just kind of cultural Christians? Like, what do you really think church should be about? They could have this incredible conversation about Jesus and the gospel and they've got to pray together. And then, so again, that's another example of what it looks like. And then another example is uh, my wife, Lauren, when she was in college, a freshman, she was in a class and uh, I can't remember what philosophy or something, it doesn't matter. Anyways, professor uh, was asking about an issue and said, it was like one of the first or second days of class and said, hey, is anyone in here a Christian? I would love to hear a Christian perspective on this. So Lauren, boldly as a freshman, encouraged and empowered by the Holy Spirit, raised her hand. Professor said, would you please stand and, and share the Christian perspective? So Lauren did and the professor immediately began to make fun of her. And unfortunately, but you'll see, fortunately, for the rest of the semester, anytime there was like a, a discussion or an issue, the professor always made a point and say, Lauren, please stand up and share the Christian perspective on that issue. And then made fun of her every single time. But because of that, because of Lauren's boldness, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, because of that, there was a girl named Meredith in the class who was an atheist and came to Lauren and said, hey, there's something different about you. I'm just curious about faith. Could we hang out and talk sometime? So for the next year, every month, they went and got dinner and talked about the gospel. 
Then there was another kid in that class who, uh, I'm saying this wrong. So Lauren uh, worked with this guy named Mark. And this was a few years later uh, from that freshman year. And Lauren worked with this guy named Mark. And Mark told Lauren, she said, he said, yeah, there's this guy um, who just became part of our Christian organization here on campus. And I was talking to him about his salvation. And he remembers you. And part of his salvation story, part of his coming to Christ was he was so impacted by how time after time you stood up in class and shared your faith. Even though you were made fun of, you like boldly stood up and shared about your faith. And that had a huge part in him coming to Christ. Man, that's pretty dang cool, isn't it? Look, every time you are bold for Christ, you don't, you're not sure, you don't know what's gonna happen actually. You, like with Jessica, I'm not sure that she knows the outcome of this girl she shared her faith with. The Meredith, the girl that, I, that Lauren uh, shared the gospel with that was an atheist, don't know what her story is. But you know what, it's not our job to figure that out, it's our job to be a witness, amen? It's our job to be bold and trust the Holy Spirit to empower us. Y'all, being bold is gonna look different, different for every single one of us but being bold is not an option. Being a witness is not an option because we have the Holy Spirit. So the question is, man, do you, do you believe that? Do you believe the Holy Spirit will empower you and give you a boldness to share the gospel in those tough moments, just like you did with Peter and John? J. Hudson Taylor, he was a British missionary to China and I love this. He said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they believed that God would be with them. You may not have it in you, but you have him in you. He changes everything. Tonight, I'm gonna to invite us to, to kind of end this, this message by doing something that the apostles did. <laughs> so cool. It says that Peter and John, after they were bold and said, hey, we're not gonna shut up. It says the, the council threatened them some more. No, hey, really, shut up about Jesus. Which, can you imagine that moment? Like, I feel like they had to be taken aback by their boldness. Like, what? No, really, stop talking about Jesus. Get out of here. It says they threatened them and they left. It says Peter and John, man, they went, they were so excited. They told all their friends what happened. Man, this was crazy. This is amazing. And they begin to pray. And it says, I'm going to pick up in verse 29. This blows my mind. Again, like where does this boldness come from? It's got to be the Holy Spirit because this boldness doesn't make sense. They're praying. It says, and now, Lord, um, verse 29 of chapter 4, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, so the threats of uh, the religious leaders, the authorities, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I love this. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That is incredible. They're threatened. Hey, shut up about Jesus. And they're like, okay, we're not going to. They get all their friends together. They say, hey, let's pray for even more boldness. <laughs> Which I'm like, dude, that was pretty bold. That was pretty bold. Like, nah, nah, we're just getting started, bro. We can't stop and we won't stop. Holy Spirit, please make us bold. 
what I want us to do tonight, me included, what if we as just a little tiny college group started right here said, Holy Spirit, make us bold. I don't know that he could. It would be really awesome. I don't know that he's going to shake the room, probably scare us all to death. <laughs> he could, but I know what God will do when we start to pray that way. He's going to shake our hearts. And when he begins to shake your hearts, the world will fill it. <laughs> Your campus will feel it. Your family will feel it. When he begins to shake your heart and shake the chains of fear and I can't do it and excuses, he begins to shake those away and it begins to fill your heart with the Holy Spirit to say, hey, I may not have it, but I have him and I'm gonna be bold. So I'm just gonna invite you. Maybe this is weird. We're not super, we're Baptists. We're not like super charismatic, but it's okay to be a little charismatic every now and then. I'm just gonna invite you, you don't have to, no one's watching, or I'm like, no one's like up in the scaff, like seeing who's doing this, what I mean. But maybe just take your hands out like I'm doing, kind of like in a posture of saying, Lord, please. And I'm just gonna invite you as a Christian just to ask God to give you boldness. If you're not a Christian, man, I would love to talk to you after the service about how you can believe in Jesus and believe in his sacrifice, like Peter and John were preaching about. But if you're a Christian, I'm going to invite you even right now just to hold your hands out like this and just say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, please fill me with a boldness to proclaim your, your name. I want to live out my purpose of being a bold witness for you. So please fill me with boldness. Shake my heart to the core. That the chains of fear and selfish excuses would fall away so I can be bold for you. If you need to stand, if you want to get on your knees, whatever that looks like, I'm going to invite you to do that. Just spend a few minutes with the Holy Spirit, or a few moments with the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LB.